Om Namo Narayanaya, Jai Swami Narayan, Namaste. Welcome to another show. Meranam Premanandas Bhagat Hai Or Mine Vaishnava Swami Narayan Sampradaya Hun Aksharya Guru Guru Ya Swami Nahin Hun. I am just a devotee of God. And whoever you are, whether you are Hindu, wherever you are in the world, welcome to my show as we learn about the world in light of God, or remember the teachings that God has given us, or scratch our heads, or read the scriptures, or whatever. Namaste. Welcome. I am a member of the Swaminarayan Sampradaya, which comes out of Gujarat. Uh, so that is the basis of my teachings, but Krishna is the Lord, and Vishnu is the Lord. But as I said, whoever you are and whatever you believe, spiritual seeker, Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, welcome. So my apologies, this morning I tried to get this stream going, and I've been suffering with it for 20 minutes. YouTube would not connect to the streaming program I have. And then at one point, I shut down the streaming program, and YouTube said I was live. How was I live? So it was just very frustrating, and I've been trying and trying. I use Streamlabs, and I will not be using this again. I've had too many problems with this. My apologies. And then I suddenly get the show going, and I'm like, Oh, it's happening. It, the curtain's up. <laughs> uh, so... Let me take a deep breath and grab a cup of coffee. I would recommend that you get one too or a cup of tea. We have an interesting episode today. And let's start with my traditional opening. For those of you who are new, I always open with the Gayatri Mantra. Om Bhavasvaha Tatsavita Varenyam bago di mahidi yonaf pachodayat. Hmm. Jai Shri Krishna. I now would like to do a reading from the book Living Dharma by Sri Dharma Acharya, a wonderful book of just hundreds of thoughts on the world and spirituality. Well worth checking out. This little bit from him says. Many mistakenly see yoga as merely a system of physical training that also just happens to have a spiritual component to it as an afterthought. In actuality, yoga is primarily a purely spiritual path, the sole goal of which is union with the divine. The fact that yoga also has a physical component to it is by design. The physical aspects, the asanas, of yoga exist in order to help the yogi to have wonderful health and to develop the ability to sit for long periods of time in a proper meditation posture. It is only when we have fully embraced the spiritual purpose of yoga in both wisdom and practice that we can claim to be yogis in the true sense of the word. Mm. Today's episode is on yoga, specifically American, modern, westernized yoga, and the traditional yoga that is still done in India. 
though that is largely changing. So today's show is going to be incredibly different than anything I've done before. I'm going to be playing a, a podcast that I guested on a, last year at some point. Um, it's a show called Kingdom Now. It is a Christian show, but if you're not Christian, it's a wealth of information. So don't let that scare you. If you like what you hear here today, go and check out this show. It is hosted by a longtime friend of mine, Apostle Dr. Leanne Marino, who is a minister, a preacher, uh, a mentor, uh, let's see, a chancellor and a Christian college. She is a prolific author, a source of devotion to Jesus, and also just a wealth of information. She is my go-to person over the years for information on Christianity. And in return, I have been her go-to person for Hinduism, and we have exchanged work now and then and helped each other out. And I have guested on a podcast she's done a few times. So I thought I would play that podcast today. It was a really cool discussion, completely off the cuff. All we decided to talk about was yoga and... An hour later, we had a really great show. So I wanted to stream it for all of you, figuring you probably hadn't seen it, and I think it is a good talk. I'm hoping at some point she will be a guest here, because I'm always on her show talking to Christian audiences, so maybe have a change of pace where she gets to speak to a Hindu audience or non-Christian, and a lot of you are in India, so speaking to a lot of others. So I'm not going to be talking, there's no chat window open, there's nothing, we're just going to stream this, it's an hour long. I have, um, I won't be coming back at the end of it either, um, you'll see a picture of Swami Narayan and the, that, you'll know that's the end of it. Um, if you do like this though, feel free to comment down below, go to Amazon, check out her books, um, if you're Christian, you know, hope you enjoy this. If you're not Christian, I also hope you enjoy this and stick with it, because I'm Hindu. I talk about Hindu things. I don't necessarily change them for a Christian audience or make them more Christian sounding. So hopefully, no matter what you are, you'll enjoy this. That being said, um, before I dive into the video and hope that it works properly with my technological issues this morning, and speaking of which, I also need a new microphone because I don't like this one. <laughs> uh, things. Technology. When it works, it works. When it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, so uh, this is the stream, but five minutes shorter than the original broadcast. I clipped a little bit of music for YouTube copyright. Uh, the ending she then talks about after we finish the interview, some of her books, and I felt that they were more Christian-focused, and as I said, I don't think a lot of you are Christians, or maybe you're just coming on this channel for the first time, but overall, this is not a Christian-focused channel, so I removed those. But again, go on our website, go on Amazon if you're interested. Also, there is one line that I said about yoga, and in the moment I thought it was right, but after the fact, I've done some more reading, and I realized it really wasn't a correct it was an assumption, uh, and, and so I edited it out. I, I don't want to be spreading something that I know is deliberately not correct. Now, this is an audio podcast, uh, but I put a slideshow with it, and hopefully you will 
enjoy the slideshow. I tried to make it interesting and, and all that. So, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Thank you for joining me. Hopefully you'll enjoy this. Um, I do plan to post the other podcasts we did for some strange reason, this is just bombing on me today, technology-wise. I will actually restream it. Um, I've done that before with a show where I killed my microphone. And yes, this is obviously live, off the cuff, unedited, and totally spontaneous. So mind the rambling. Please come back, watch more episodes. And with that, let me say, Jai Shri Krishna, Jai Shri Swaminarayan. Harry Krishna, Harry Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Harry Harry, Harry Rama, Harry Rama, Rama Rama, Harry Harry. And Leanne, take it away. Welcome to Kingdom Now, the podcast featuring faith with an edge, as we celebrate the kingdom of God within you. I'm your host, Dr. Leanne Marino, apostle, author, and theologian, and founder of Spitfire Apostolic Ministries and all the works that go along with it. I'm excited to share this program with you as we explore the ins and outs of counterculture Christianity present as you live out the kingdom of God in your everyday life. Want to learn more? Visit my website at kingdompowernow.org. And now, our program, which features a variety of formats here, just for you. Interviews, teaching and preaching, proclaimed everywhere from my North Carolina studio to Sanctuary and beyond. And powerful insights here, for now, as we turn the world upside down, everywhere we go. Good afternoon, good evening, and to our listeners in India, uh, <laughs> to our listeners in India, we say namaste. Did I say that right? Yeah, you're okay. Okay, I'm okay. On that word. Uh, all right. In that case. <laughs> what, why don't we start over, Leanne? No, I can edit stuff out or not. No, I just started over. I don't mind the comic aspect. Anyway. <laughs> Okay. I'm going to leave all that in. Anyway. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Yeah, right. We have a really well, good show for you today, folks. What, <laughs> whatever time of day it is, wherever you are, we are hoping that you are having a good day. And I welcome you to this already very interesting edition of the Kingdom Now podcast. And I'm your host, Apostle Dr. Leanne Marino here. And I'm the Spitfire, serving as the voice of counterculture Christianity where we feature the theme of faith with an edge. And if you would like to learn more about the world of counterculture Christianity, especially given I just updated my website, feel free to visit my website at kingdompowernow.org. It seems like everywhere you go and everywhere you turn around, there is a yoga class or a yoga studio, something promising you to be thin, something promising you to be bougie is probably the ultimate answer to it. And even if you want to have small dwarf-like goats walk around all over your head while you do it, that's even an option now. But we've kind of westernized a lot of concepts of yoga and what are its origins? What should we really be looking for? What should we really be looking to engage? And is this kind of mass commercialism of yoga actually really thinking about its type? Is it really what it's supposed to be about? So without getting too much into 
my yada, yada, yada on yoga because I have a lot of thoughts about the perspective on it and about the way it is being used today and even got into an argument about it as an example of cultural appropriation once, but we'll save that for later. I introduced my returning guest who was on the first season of Kingdom Now, Aaron Joy. And Aaron, before you get into your thoughts on a lot of this stuff, because I know you have a lot to say, introduce yourself to everybody. Well, I think I already have. And... <laughs> And so that I have to explain, Leanne and I were chit-chatting for like 15 minutes before we started recording, and we've known each other for a long time. By the way, Leanne, where did you get that name Spitfire? That came from preaching. Oh, really? Did anyone ever call you that? Yes. Somebody gave me that nickname. I didn't name myself that. It's very appropriate, isn't it? I mean, yes, you know, I, I think it is an appropriate nickname for I, you. I actually got it like around 2011. I did a conference and the woman said, oh, she's just a spitfire and it stuck. Well, I have called you that many times too. Have you really? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. I was going to say before I had spitfire, you were the only person who ever gave me a nickname. Yeah, well, it was that was one of them because that's I yes. What was the other one? I it's probably too personal based on our very long couple yeah. decade relationship, uh, yeah, friendship. Right. Mm -hmm. But Spitfire was definitely one of them. Anyways, oh really? Yeah. Me... So when we get off the air, I want to hear about these other ones. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, let me introduce myself. My name is Aaron Choi. For those who have listened to the show before, I've. Leanne and I have worked together or known each other for a long time. I'm an author of many books, and I'm also Hindu, or I've been following the Hindu religion since 1996 with a lot of tangents that I confess. But for the past few years, I've been really cleaning it up, really focusing in. And Leanne and I have some probably overlapping views of yoga and we decided to do the show together. I'm no expert on yoga. I'll confess that a lot of my books that I've written, and you can go on my website and find them, are actually music-related, a less controversial topic. That website is aaronjoyauthor.weebly.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-J-O-Y-A-U-T-H-O-R dot W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com. You can see everything I've done, and you can reach out and contact me there. And religion has been something I've studied all my life and I've practiced mm -hmm. and I've been around the world and I've done things. So we thought we would venture into a very hot topic today of yoga. And we were talking for 15 minutes, but I have no idea where we're going to start. So Leanne, where would you like to start? <laughs> at, at the actually, beginning. I do want to, I should make, at the beginning, I <laughs> do want to mention just for this show, I Googled different styles of yoga. You mentioned in the opening goat yoga. My mm -hmm. girlfriend actually mentioned that to me, and then I shared it with you. It's a thing. I also found a bunch of other types of yoga. These are not ones with Sanskrit names like bhakti yoga or whatever, mm -hmm. because I don't think most people really know the meaning of the word bhakti or most. I do. Yeah, you might and others, but I think the average person may not, and there's a lot of mistranslation issues. But outside of those, I found. Hot yoga, sexy yoga, naked yoga, cat yoga, goat yoga, power yoga, superpower yoga, restorative yoga, acro yoga, aerial yoga, prenatal yoga, yin yoga, Taoist yoga, air yoga, laughing yoga, 
Christian yoga and anti-gravity yoga. I'll just let your mind contemplate those, but those are different styles of yoga. As for if doing, if there is a thing like naked cat anti-gravity air yoga, I don't know. But yes. So from there, where would you like to go? Back to the beginning, Leanne? Is there anywhere to go after you just said all that? <laughs> well, yes. Know? And I look forward to this conversation, which okay, has been so well prepared like... for and now started off crazy but really crazy okay because i'm like sitting here first of all i'm trying to picture some of them well things like <laughs> anti-gravity yoga are actually done where you're suspended above the air and like ropes and stuff so you're doing yoga while suspended on things Taoist yeah, yoga, no. yeah Taoist <laughs> yoga seems to be incorporating uh, right. Taoist yoga stuff. Yeah. Prenatal is for women who are pregnant. Um, oh, okay. I was going somewhere totally different with that in my mind. Okay. Because I was like, all right, prenatal yoga. Do you mean like we're regressing somehow in yoga back to pre-birth? Well, you're laughing, but there are people that try to rebirth and there's all sorts of yep. crap. I mean, yep. so I was like, all right, so is that supposed to regress people? Okay. So that's pregnant yoga. Okay. Yeah. Or things like Kali Ray. So Kali is the Hindu goddess. Ray, goddess. maybe. It's for me, that's a, it, it's almost meaningless. Like I know who Kali is. I understand this concept, but it's just like meaningless to me on some level because I just can't get it. Christian yoga, don't ask me what that is. I don't even want to go there. I'll let you go I there. I could tell you. I mean, I could tell you based on what, what I think it is. Yeah. It would be somebody who would classify as a universalist. And thinks everything leads to God and everything kind of goes to heaven kind of type thing. And they're practicing yoga, but they would mention Christ in it. Or like when they would do the meditation, they would do the physical poses, but they would mention Jesus in the chants or something. That's my guess. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that might be a good place to start. Okay, well, I was going to say, why don't we start with what it is? I mean, because what is yoga? I mean, what is it in its, we could say, original construct? Well, what do you think Which you would know better than me. From what I understand, the term yoga actually means yoke. And the purpose of it was to basically unite one. Unite one with With deity. I guess I would understand deity as is understood. Okay, so I'm going to give a history of yoga here that's really brief, and I'm going to summarize stuff that's in a incredibly fast and maybe I'll make it co concise, but I'm going to leave out a lot of stuff from my understanding. So I actually want to open with a quote. Okay. And, and I'm going to read from the Bhagavad Gita as it is. Now, before we go on, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I'm Hindu. I want to clarify that. I actually believe that Krishna is the Supreme Lord and Vishnu is the great being. I follow Krishna and Vishnu. There's many branches of Hinduism, much like there are many branches of Christianity, you know, Lutheran or Catholic, whatever. Right. So for those who are listening, and we won't go into this, what it means now, but for those who are listening, I follow Krishna. I'm not a Hare Krishna, which a lot of people know of, but I do read a lot of books that are published by the Hare Krishna group, and I'm going to read one right now. 
So for me, my core text, not equivalent to the Bible, but the, one of the most important hint religious texts is the Bhagavad Gita. One particular translation is called the Bhagavad Gita as it is by mm -hmm. Swami Prabhupada, who brought the Hare Krishna movement to America. And the Hare Krishna movement goes back hundreds of like five, six hundred years. And mm -hmm. it's even older than that. But it whatever there's a lot of history there but i'm going to read from one of his books because he actually translated the bhagavad gita and then has a little commentary so the translation says be steadfast in yoga perform yeah. your duty and abandon all attachment to success or failure such evenness of mind is called yoga okay. and then swami Prabhupada's description he says what is yoga Yoga means to concentrate the mind upon the supreme by controlling the ever-disturbing senses. And mm -hmm. who is the supreme? The supreme is the Lord. And in this case, mm -hmm. it's Krishna. Mm -hmm. That is really, for me, the essence of what yoga is. Yoga is written about in the oldest of oldest Hindu texts, the Vedas. And these mm -hmm. may be the oldest texts we have for any religion in the world or mm -hmm. some of the oldest that are complete and they talk about yoga without necessarily using the word. Essentially, yoga means to connect with the supreme deity, whether it's Shiva mm -hmm. or Krishna, whoever you worship, or Indra or whatever. That is it. It is to connect to that deity, as you said, to yoke. And mm -hmm. it is to separate yourself from this material world, which is sort of a wall between us and God. You know, the Buddhists kind of bring that to a new level and we kind of know it through that, the illusion of the world. Though in Hinduism, mm -hmm. we don't see the world necessarily as an illusion. It's just a wall to knowing or connecting with God. That is mm -hmm. what yoga is. And so when I hear Christians or non-Christians or people today go, oh, I hate yoga. Yoga is horrible and it's satanic. My first comment is, you mean it's satanic to want to connect with God? Because that's mm -hmm. all yoga is. I mean, if you want to pray to Jesus, that could be a form of yoga. Mm -hmm. Now, what happened was hundreds and hundreds and, or thousands of years later, I don't have the dates, my apologies, you had many forms of Hinduism that were developed out. Some worship this God, some worship that. There's different teachers, there's different things, just like Christianity has all these different things from, mm -hmm. you know, Martin Luther to Jimmy Swaggart to whoever. In Hinduism, there was a teacher who came up, Patanpalji, who kind of codified yoga and put with it things you should do in your life, like you should be vegetarian, mm -hmm. you should have nonviolence to animals, and you should be nice to people. And also, he said, you should do physical movements. And the physical mm -hmm. movements are ways to get you separated from the material world and connecting with God. They're a mm -hmm. way to control your body, which for him was not necessarily seen as a good thing. It was actually a bad thing. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like I think of the Middle Ages where monks would whip themselves on the back. Uh -huh. Sort of that's how I see it. Mm -hmm. And you can read that book, the Yoga Sutras of Panampalji today, and you can practice everything he says. Mm -hmm. What happened, though, is it's changed. If you go to India, mm -hmm. you will see yoga practiced in a very traditional manner. But in the 19, not even the 1920s, but even earlier than that, there was a guy named Pierre Bernard who was basically a shyster con man who wanted to become famous. 
And mm-hmm. the way he became famous in the 1890s, he was here in America, is he would like hammer nails into his cheek and show no pain because he was supposedly wow. in this transcendental trance, mm-hmm. basically like circus folks do today. Mm-hmm. And he picked up some tantric ideas and some yoga ideas from this Swami he knew, though we don't have any information about the Swami or even that the guy existed. And this guy, Pierre Bernard, started teaching yoga to people in New York. And this is the turn of the century. And the police went after him. And and he didn't know everything. He didn't speak Sanskrit. He'd never been to India. But Mm -hmm. he kind of filled in the blanks with stuff he thought. He saw Sanskrit words and books that he would find in old bookstores. And he would incorporate them in. And he basically created this yoga form with him as the teacher. And his name was the Great Om, O-O-M. And he had a school in Nyack in New York. Mm. And he at one point built a baseball stadium and owned the fanciest cars and was like just the president would visit him because he basically he used yoga to become famous and rich and that was his goal well what happened was he taught a yoga that he invented on the spot essentially and as students would come in and he wouldn't be able to teach the class he would change how the yoga was so someone else could teach it in an easier way and he manipulated it and then it became popular with some famous people and it spread to Hollywood. I forget her name. There was a famous actress back in the early days of talkies who became, she used to do yoga. I think Errol Flynn did yoga and it sort Mm -hmm. of passed along. And this guy, Pierre Bernard died in the fifties and he's basically forgotten. But what you then get is all these other people teaching this yoga that he kind of created using Sanskrit that was kind of gibberish, using anything he could find that kind of would all work together Mm -hmm. in this big soup. And then in in the 1960s, you get folks coming in and the whole new age thing and, oh, we're going to purify yoga. We're going to do this. And then in the 80s, we can make money like Bikram yoga and we can Mm -hmm. make this into an industry. And before you knew it, in America, if you take 200 hours, you're now a certified yogi, even though the definition of yogi is completely different if you read the text. If you read the Hindu text, basically all these words and the word yoga have completely different meanings. So what we have is this push and pull between yoga as it is written in the Vedas, yoga as it was conceived by Padampagya maybe a thousand years ago or less, and then yoga as it's practiced in India, which is very much based on Hinduism, and then yoga in America, which was this cobbled together thing a century ago. And Mm -hmm. that brings in all this stuff. What, hey, you want to use the tarot with yoga? Fine. You want to use your goat with yoga? Fine. And has nothing to do with Hinduism in any way, shape, or form. You don't even have to believe in God, which kind of defeats the purpose of what yoga is about, according to the definition of yoga as found in the oldest scriptures. So it's it's this weird, weird thing. thing. And then you get people like Christians. And who go like, well, it's satanic. Well, in Hinduism, we don't have a Satan, so we can't, we don't perceive it as satanic. But then, well, why do you perceive something as satanic that supposedly is about communing with God? Well, because you're doing hot, naked, sexy yoga and calling it a spiritual practice. (laughs) And I don't know any hot, sexy, naked masses that are going on. And, you know, the Pope isn't exactly leading cat Sunday, cat Palm Sunday, or goat mm-hmm. palm sun, you know, so it's become something that is both super popular, it's a super industry, but yet it's, its roots are questionable. 
And I'm mm-hmm. at a point now where I've become very, the older I get, the more I want a pure thing. So I've mm-hmm. been purging my religious system of new age stuff, of modern stuff, of mistranslations, and really trying to find what is in the old text. So I don't mm-hmm. practice yoga. I have. I don't like it because it, it is a 100-year-old creation that is super materialistic. Mm-hmm. It's right. like Mother's Day or you know Easter with chocolate bunnies. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with Jesus rising from the grave, and it really doesn't probably have anything right. to do with mothers, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it's become this sort of weird thing. That is a, a very bad and very fast history of yoga, mm-hmm. but it's... Well, uh, I don't think it's a bad history. I think I've that it's concise. I, I, it's not bad. I've just left mm-hmm. a lot out that people may, may, you know, argue with, but for the sake of this show, I right. abbreviated well, it. What I guess I would say, first, I do agree, even as a Christian, that Christians over-label everything they don't understand as satanic. And I think that it does apply to Hinduism in a general sense, because like you say, there is no Satan in Hinduism. So to be assigning something with that kind of a label in a system that does not recognize it, it does not apply. Yeah. It, it kind of, it's a, it's a no, it's a conversation that can't go anywhere. Exactly. Right. And I mean, you know, I understand that they make the argument in order to kind of end the conversation, but you're not having, once again, it's like you say, it becomes a monologue. It's not a dialogue anymore yeah. and nobody really kind of learns anything from it. And so I would argue like what they would say, I would not say it's satanic, but I would really question, especially given everything you just gave about the history, the benefit of it for Mm. a Christian, simply because it's kind of nothing. It's kind of like you're saying Easter really does not have anything to do with the resurrection of Jesus. What do bunnies and chocolates and rabbits and eggs well that's all a fertility holiday and it does relate to pagan origin or like christmas today nobody ever thinks about how you know what does santa claus and all that have to do with jesus or you know some of the imagery in the green and you know all of that relates to something else and so i would argue that it is you know very very broadly and we all do know and recognize and i don't want to segue into cultural appropriation but what i would say is that it's like a modernized version of something that somebody totally took out of context and then ran with to make money yes exactly and so ethically i guess you know I run into ethics with that. And that's a whole other kind of thing that we took something totally out of its context, made it extraordinarily white, as somebody would say, and then kind of totally transformed it into a profit. So in my version or kind of in my way, I would definitely not say that it's satanic, but we have kind of made the love of money out of it. Yeah. Well, there's also and that's problem. that is a thing. But yes, <laughs> there's there's another problem here with what you just said. You said we've we've turned it into something. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem: we've turned it into something that it's not, and it was never meant to be. Right. We're now giving it back to India. You can mm-hmm. go to India, and you find yoga studios run by Americans that look like ours. And the Indians who haven't read the scriptures don't know it. They just see something that says yoga. So they start practicing our or Pierre Bernard's yoga and think it's authentic. So we're actually destroying the authentic tradition. Right. And that's not right. 
I would say that morally that's not right. Yeah. And, you know, I've had people ask all the time, well, you know, and they'll throw out the term there, well, you know, how could it be satanic if you could lose weight? Well, first of all, that's a totally bad argument or even... It really doesn't work. It doesn't work. I mean, it's a stupid question. I mean, because, you know, just because something makes you lose weight does not mean that it's beneficial. If I starve myself, I lose weight. Does that mean me starving myself isn't satanic? That's a good thing. I mean, right. it's one of those arguments that isn't logical when you start putting other examples in. Right. And we don't even have to put other examples in. It's just stupid. I mean, you know, it's just a bad argument. But the kind of association I think we almost have with it is that what we've done with this is okay. When it's like you have said, really, it was not the original purpose. If we go back to the oldest text, which I do agree Hinduism is most likely from traditions that are the oldest in the world because Hinduism is a lot of things. It's like you and I've talked about how do you define it because it's basically a lot of very, very old systems kind of coming together and it is perceived differently. And because of the way Hinduism is seen, that is okay in Hinduism. It's not like in Christianity where we don't approve of somebody else because they're a different denomination. It which I don't necessarily mean that of myself, but in general. So, you know, basically one denomination kind of looks down on another one and thinks they need to convert someone from that denomination because that's how Western thinking is often seen. But in Hinduism, all these coexisting ideas can coexist. So how do you define it? But it is most likely the oldest religious system in the world. And it does date back thousands of years. And if we really kind of look at it from that perspective, the original text and the original ideas and the original way that this is kind of conveyed is so far removed from what we're seeing now that I guess what I would say is, what do we do with that? I mean, you know, do we throw out the entire system of yoga that exists or, you know, from the perspective of where it, the idea sort of came from, what do we do with it? Well, I'm going to respond to you with a quote. I'm again from the Bhagavad Gita. And this is a commentary on part of it by Swami Prabhupada. He goes, the goal of life is to know Krishna who is situated within the heart of every living being as Paramatma, the four-handed Vishnu form. The yoga process is practiced in order to discover and see this localized form of Vishnu and not for any other purpose. One who has no program to realize this Vishnu is uselessly engaged in mock yoga practice and is Mm -hmm. certainly wasting his time. Krishna is the ultimate goal of life, and the Vishnu situated in one's heart is the object of yoga practiced. So this is a text from the 1960s. So this isn't old. This is from the 1960s. Swami Prabhupada died in 1977. So he is basically saying the goal of yoga is to know God in the form of Vishnu. Mm-hmm. And we, we won't talk about what the forehand form of Vishnu is in Krishna and all that. I, that that's a whole other thing. But basically... It, to think of them as the, for, for the logistics of the show, think of them as the same person. So think of it as Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's to get to know one, not versus one over the other. So 
that is the goal. But in modern yoga in America, that's not the goal. It's a stretching exercise. It's a breathing exercise. It's a relaxation exercise. It has nothing to do with the Hinduism that's behind it. So my thing is, is you said, what do we do with it? Well, first of all, I think we should remove all religious things from it. I don't think okay. we should go around saying, well, I do yoga because it's a spiritual blah, 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 blah. Okay, mm -hmm. well, how does your spiritual thing relate to Padampagji's Yoga Sutras or the Bhagavad Gita? It doesn't. Well, then you're not really doing what is spiritual according to the religion you're supposedly practicing. I met a yoga teacher once and I said to her, oh, have, have you read the Bhagavad Gita? And she goes, no, I saw it on a bookshelf once and I thought about reading it. Oh, well, and I was like, oh, what Hindu texts have you read? Oh, I haven't read any of them. So you've not read a single oh. Hindu text, but yet you're supposedly a yogi who's an expert in this religious practice that you know nothing about. That would be like if I said to you, Leanne, yes, I am a minister of the church and I am an expert in the church. And you said, oh, really? Uh, what's your favorite passage from the Bible? And I go, no, I've never read the Bible. Oh, really? Yeah. What have you read? I subscribe to Joel Wolfstein's podcast. And you're like, that makes you an expert. Yep, that's all I need. I just need to describe his podcast because he says I'm an expert. And thus, I am I know more about Jesus than you. You would laugh at me. But yet oh, yoga, I just gave you a dirty look. and you Yeah, know I sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> and so you would laugh at me. But the, in yoga, it's totally okay for me to say something that basically shows my ignorance and yet call myself a, a master of an expert. So, so people who are doing this and saying, well, they're connecting to some spirituality, have you read the Bhagavad Gita? That is, have you read the Vedas? Have you read Padmahasya? Have you read any yogic texts other than the one put out by a guy living in California right now? That's mm -hmm. some new age thing. If you say no to me, then you're not practicing religious practice according to the religion that made that practice possible. You're practicing some new age thing. That's where I have the problem. I have a problem with people who say it's some, it's some religious thing, but they know nothing about the religion. Mm -hmm. And they'll throw around the words namaste and I'm a yogi. How are you a yogi? According to the text, I can tell you exactly what a yogi is. It's written verbatim a thousand years ago. And there nowhere in that text does it say 200 hour class that will cost you 300 bucks, mm -hmm. you know, and to have a life where you're not doing anything according to these texts is almost insulting to me. I, I don't get insulted, but it's almost insulting to this religion. I'm going to read another quote here. Trying to practice yoga while engaging the mind in material enjoyment is like trying to ignite a fire while pouring water on it. Mm -hmm. Similarly, yoga practice without mental control is a waste of time. Such a show of yoga practice may be materially lucrative, but it is as useless as far as spiritual realization is concerned. And that's, again, from the Bhagavad Gita, because that's what I'm reading from today. So basically, all these people are doing yoga and they're doing stuff and, and maybe it's relaxing and maybe it has benefits, but that's not the point. And it's, it's hopefully you see where I'm going with this, but mm -hmm. I, I, if I came up to you, Leanne, and said, Leanne, I have this new class I'd like you to take. It's a class in Holy Communion. And please come to my class. I want you to buy, you're going to need sweatpants though. And I have some, I have some, they're a hundred bucks. They have my little logo on the side. It's a logo of a dinosaur, but it's a holy dinosaur and come to my class and we're going to need some padding. And then we're going to sit around and we're going to do some chanting and stuff. 
And then we're going to read excerpts from this book called the New Testament. You don't have to read the whole book, but we're just going to read some excerpts that I found. And then we're going to take this thing called Holy Communion with some wine that I that I make at home and and some some crackers. They don't worry, they're organic. And um, <laughs> it's a really good class because what you're going to learn is at the end of this class, when you take Holy Communion, it actually helps your opera voice. That's the whole point of Holy Communion is to learn how to sing better opera because by drinking the wine, it makes your throat feel better. That's that's the point of the Holy Communion class. And I'm actually franchising out if you want to start your own Holy Communion class to help all the opera singers in your city. Now, you laughed, and that's the appropriate response because you're like, yeah, Holy Communion has nothing to do with opera and the whole, oh, it's organic wafers. And dinosaurs on the pants that are $100. Is completely stupid. But a yoga teacher will come up and say, oh, yes, I have some good stretching exercises that will help you relax and help you perform better at your work when you're sitting in front of a computer is taken 100% seriously as though they know something. Right. But no, wait a minute. Yeah. Why, are we, why are we saying that they're okay, but if someone came around and went, hey, I dress like a Hasidic Jew with the full black cat and everything, but I don't believe in Judaism. I just do this for climate change, we would laugh at that person and say it's insulting. See, the mm-hmm. thing is with Hinduism is we kind of make fun of it because the New Age thing and all of it is kind of pulled Right. Up. We don't treat it as a valid religion. We treat it as a joke. It's a religion mm-hmm. by a bunch of primitive folks who believe in an eight-armed form of God, even though those primitive folks 2,000 years ago dated the age of the earth, and the age that they give is only a million years off from our current dating things. So they were pretty smart, but we mm-hmm. treat Hinduism as this weird thing and we pull it apart. If I did that mm-hmm. to Christians, Christians would come at my door and destroy me if I right. did like that. If I had my holy communion class for mm-hmm. opera singers. Right. And I think that's a valid argument because it's like I've said, I may not be a Hindu and I may not believe in Hinduism, but I do believe that we need to respect what people believe. And I feel that we do have a particular disdain for all things Hindu. I would say that it's almost treated like it's a quackery. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. You know, like everything about it is fake and mythological. I'm just trying to think of that word. No, a no, nice that's a fine word. word. Absolutely. You know, that they're trying to kind of we just treat it with such disdain. And I do personally credit the New Age movement with that. Simply because I did a two-part episode last season called Stairway to New Age, and I did part one and two, and I actually did trace the movement. And when the New Age movement started to rise up was through Helena Blavatsky in the 1800s. I want to say the 1880s, somewhere around there. The 1800s is good enough for... Yeah, late 1800s, when there was a lot of interest in certain things. And what we would classify a lot of what rose up at that time now would be what we would call pseudoscience. So She did a lot of damage to Hinduism. Yes. And basically, I said, well, why was there this sudden interest in this stuff at this particular point in time? And I went and I did a little bit deeper in the history. And I found out that you had the British occupation of India. And so people saw India as exotic. And it's the first time many of the books of India were being translated into English. So we were getting knowledge that we'd never seen before from a culture that no one really knew about. 
Right, exactly. Whether or not the translations were adequate is a whole other issue. You know, we could do that whole <laughs> King James versus the newer translations arguments that knowledge and information increases, but anyway, or hopefully does. But what I really kind of came away with is the New Age movement I kind of defined as white Hinduism. In other words, it was basically the British understanding, if you're going into India and you're seeing all this stuff for the first time and you really don't understand what's behind it, hey, it's this. Hey, it's that. Let's just yeah. kind of take whatever we want for ourselves, which is exactly. occupation. And so I think that the New Age movement kind of almost made a character out of Hinduism. They have made it, you know, the guy with the snake who does the snake charming. And, you know, we've kind of made it a sideshow. Well, the other thing is, the sad thing is, is many of the things those missionaries, the Christian missionaries and the British and Madame Blavatsky mm -hmm. did are now considered scripturally and orthodox. Many of the things they tout are now touted by Hindus as this is orthodox. No, it's not. Show me where in the text it's orthodox. Well, they've never read mm -hmm. the text. You've never right. read the Vedas and someone just says to you, oh, well, this is this is Vedic and that translation is garbage. There's a movement to decolonize Hinduism to dump mm -hmm. all that stuff because they literally destroyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And that makes sense. And so yoga, I would basically say, is just part of that. It's yeah. just a part of something that somebody took. And like you're saying, it wasn't even by somebody who was a Hindu or was even from the Indian country. It was just some guy who was some French sounding guy who wanted to make it's, money. It's a fake name because the French name sold. Oh, OK. So that ain't even his real name. So you've got the French name that yeah, an, so, Iowa, an Iowa guy named Perry Baker changed his name to Dr. Pierre Bernard because, well, what's the doctorate in? Oh, you know, it's some esoterical thing. So Right. And so there you go. And so this entire thing is basically kind of a Western construct of an Eastern idea. And it has no validity and it's really not anything concrete or valid. I, yeah. Yes. So there we go. I mean, I want to. I want to expand on something really interesting, though. You just mm -hmm. you talked about how the translations. Mm -hmm. I've been doing a lot of reading recently about translations, and translations from Sanskrit into English. And I, I was actually probably going to bring this up. You've already naturally segued there, and I'm kind of glad you did. So we are now our Hindus are now. There's a big movement to retranslate stuff into English. Because mm -hmm. words have been corrupted. Right. Words have been translated in poorly or inaccurately. One thing the Christian missionaries did who went into India in the 1800s was they said, well, you know, these books are young. These Hindu texts are young because nothing can predate the Garden of Eden. And we know the Garden of Eden was 6,000 years ago. So it's impossible that your book can be older than 6,000 years old. So when we translate something, we have to make sure it says it doesn't say anything that you know, contradicts what we know in the Christianity. So there's a lot of stuff, you know, that isn't right. right. Now you can say that the books are myths and that's a whole different thing. And actually in Hinduism, if you said to me, all my books are myths, I'd be like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's fine. It doesn't matter because the, the, the philosophy is still a hundred percent accurate because mm -hmm. if, even if let's say if Jesus never existed, the sermon on the Mount is still a great sermon. Mm -hmm. You could still live by the sermon on the Mount, even if there's no blood of Christ. It's mm -hmm. one of those things. So it, it doesn't actually, even Hindus sometimes say that some of the stuff is mythological and that's mm -hmm. totally fine. But there's a movement now to change the translation because what it is, is we're literally following translations which are incorrect. Mm -hmm. And that translation gets passed on and passed on and passed right. on. And 
what you end up having now is Hindus and yoga people, and that's not a good term, but people who practice yoga, Mm -hmm. they're literally trying to follow a religion which is made up. Right. Which is like 100 years old at tops. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's 20 years old. It's literally made up. Mm -hmm. For example, ahimsa is a word you hear sometimes, Mm A-H-I-M-S-A. Ahimsa is often translated to nonviolence. You often hear Mm -hmm. Hinduism, it's nonviolence, whatever, it's a great religion, you know, be vegetarian. Well, that's actually the, the, the translation of ahimsa. So uh, Sanskrit is an interesting language where every single sound has a meaning, mm-hmm. unlike English, where if I say the word chapter four, chap, ter, those are two separate words put together. There's no ter. I don't know what a ter is. It's just a sound. Mm-hmm. Or maybe in Latin it had a meaning, but not anymore. In Sanskrit, chap and ter would have two meanings and would be put together. So maybe ter means page and chat means turn. The word together means turning the page, which means, you know, chapter. Right. So ahimsa actually comes from the word violence. And the ah at the beginning changes it to mean decreased violence. Mm-hmm. So the word ahimsa does not mean non-violence. It means decreasing your violence. Or turning so you, away from it. Or, or finding an alternative uh-huh. offer than, you know, kicking mm-hmm. someone's ass. So <laughs> if you so if you read the Bhagavad Gita, it's a story about, which is what I've been reading from, it's a story of Arjuna, mm-hmm. who doesn't want to fight in this great battle against families. And Lord Krishna says, no, you have to fight. It's your duty. You have to do this. Oh, I don't want to kill my uncle. No, it's a, maybe you won't, but somebody else will. But you have to fight. This is your duty. Oh, okay, okay. So he ends up fighting. Well, if truly Ahimsa is a Hindu thing that you have to do, why would the Lord be telling his person, now you have to fight because that's what you have to do? It mm-hmm. contradicts. And there's lots of fighting. In, if you read the Ramayana, which is a great mm-hmm. epic tale, the Mahabharata, which is like this 14-volume story, and other, there is lots of fighting. Krishna uh, incarnated on earth as a boy, supposedly, according to the myth, and he fought. He fought things. But if Ahimsa is such a, if it means nonviolence, why do you see the word Ahimsa, Ahimsa, Ahimsa all over the place in situations where there's violence? Because it literally means when you have no other action, Try to decrease your violence. Don't mm-hmm. go after people. Gandhi, the Gandhi we know, Mahatma mm-hmm. Gandhi, wanted the world to be sympathetic to his protest movement. So he retranslated the Bhagavad Gita into English. Mm-hmm. He is the first person to translate ahimsa into nonviolence because his movement was all about nonviolence. Non-violence. Up until him, it had always been decreased violence, not doing violence, whatever. He said, no, no, I need people to be a part of nonviolence. He translated the Bhagavad Gita, Ahimsa, into nonviolence. Ever since then, Ahimsa has been translated into nonviolence. Because in wow. the West, if I gave you a book by Mahatma Gandhi, you're going to respect it. Because he's, he's Mahatma Gandhi. He's awesome. He's cool. Mm-hmm. There's a great movie made about him. If nothing else, you're going to respect him. In India, his translation was not well-loved. Sanskrit scholars went 
you've actually mistranslated lots of the book. This is not a good translation. You'll have trouble finding it now in the stores because it is not a good translation. But you and I don't speak Sanskrit, so we don't know. So when mm -hmm. he says ahimsa is nonviolence, it's nonviolence. And then when you get in the hippie movement in the 60s and whatever, hey, Gandhi's a great guy to hold up on your team. Well, he said nonviolence, so suddenly now... So literally the word ahimsa, meaning nonviolence, is only 100 years old. It's not Vedic, it's not Upanishadic, it's mm -hmm. not Puranic, it's not Hindu. It's not a Hindu translation. It is a, a certifiable mistranslation. Uh huh. So if you are practicing yoga and your teacher says to you, you need to practice the path of ahimsa, which is nonviolence, you're literally practicing a made-up religion. You're literally wow. practicing a mistranslation. Mm -hmm. Not just do you not know Hinduism, you don't believe in, which we, you're not following the text at all, but now you're literally practicing mistranslations. Wow. So you're literally okay. practicing a fake wow. religion that is made up on the spot. And mm -hmm. it just, it goes crazy. So it's literally, you can do yoga for good stretching exercises and it is good for stretching. But when you get into the religious thing, you're literally faking it. You're literally making it up. Right. It's it not is, a, it's it not a, a legit a, thing. It is literally as made up as, well, some, I won't, I won't say it, but there's some religions that are very, very modern, which are basically just, they have no scriptural basis. And when you go to the scripture, it contradicts what you're uh -huh. reading. So that's why you see a lot of yoga teachers, they're not reading the Bhagavad Gita because they're not encouraged to, because the moment they do, they'll see criticisms of what they're doing. Right. And it'll just become a whole different thing. And what I would even argue with what you're saying is that it's a human issue that we have in Christianity too. I mean, what we would call it is translator bias. And it's a little bit more well known among Christian textual criticism just simply because we're louder about it than some of these other things. But translators always have biases and you have to be very careful with passages. And it's one of the reasons we recommend cross-referencing with different translations because there are often many possibilities for the way a word could be translated. Older languages are different than modern ones. And I have made the argument with people who argue whether a word for word translation versus a contextual translation of the Bible, that they're clunky. Now, if I'm going to translate from French, there is no way I can translate word for word because it's not going to make sense. But for some reason, because it's the Bible, we do that. And there are always people who are maligning translations. The difference being because Hinduism is still new to the West and because it's not necessarily so easily embraced in a lot of Western understanding, a mistranslation really misrepresents what somebody believes because there isn't that conversation. Yes. And that is not really right. And I would even argue like with the Bible and the way that they did that, you know, they say, oh, we know the Bible 6,000 years old. Well, no, we actually really don't if you study the text. And there are different theories. That's what was called a young earth theory. And at the point in time when they were arguing about this stuff with Hindu text, young earth theory was a very viable belief system. It was considered the standard. And it is actually based on a guy who thought he could predict the date of the second coming. So it's a newer thing too, but because people kind of just assume 
with Christianity that everything is old, it's not. And it's not necessarily the way it should be understood or it was understood, but that's where we get into people being stupid again. And, you know, the way that they just kind of narrate everything and what we've done with this is we have an entire narration of Hinduism, what it means to be Hindu that's not even accurate. Here's the thing. Some of that not being accurate might not be bad. There may be some really good things people are doing in the name of yoga, in the name of Hinduism, which are actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. But my thing is, did you go for the original yoga and follow it and then update it a little bit to a modern world with computers? Or mm-hmm. did you just go to some mistranslations? You know, it's one thing to take a text and to say, hey, you know, this is a great text, but it was written for those people in a certain culture, in a mm-hmm. certain place. And I don't live in the Punjab 500 years ago and where all of us women or men get together and bathe together and shampoo each other's hair in the Ganges River. So it doesn't apply to me. So I need to update it to life with a shower and bathing alone. Mm-hmm. That's understandable. And I could have used an example from the Bible of things that probably are no longer accurate that we don't do anymore that mm-hmm. need to just be updated. They were written for a certain people at a right. certain place. Right, in a but certain I don't, context. But I don't know the Bible that well anymore. Mm-hmm. So, so, but the thing is, is did you take that and update it because it needed updating or did you not even know that text and just changed it because mm-hmm. you could like, hey, I can have goats walk on the back of my body and call it yoga. That's my update. What was wrong with the original version? That didn't say anything about goats that needed changing. So this modern yoga may have some good things, but also it's just incorporating anything, anything anyone feels can now be yoga. Uh And it's like, did you need to make that update? Are you adding to, are you, are you replacing something that needs replacing? Or are you just ignorant of what's there? Or have you completely ignored the fact that this is about God association and you don't care about God when in your hot, sexy yoga class. I mean, <laughs> I can't even go. I there. literally knew this guy in New York. He would come, he was a neighbor in my building on my floor. And he literally said, I go, he was gay. And he goes, I go to hot, sexy yoga classes to pick up men. Wow. And, and I, and I get naked and I figure out which one of them I like. And then I take them home. And he was a Jewish guy, but Hey, it was, it was a, good date and he said he was losing some weight doing it too and he made his ass look good and i'm like really that's it <laughs> at least he was honest he was like yeah, i'm not no, trying to you know he was honest he i mean like honest, you say yeah but it's like is that really what the you mean so you're meaning so basically to me it's like so the original thing of yoga to connect with lord krishna was invalid so you had to create a pickup class for gay men because the original of uh, communing with God didn't work. So you now have to create a hot sexy yoga class because you have to replace God communion with dating. I mean, is that, was that really a necessary replacement or, you know, did you really improve upon it because the original wasn't good anymore? Is, is the idea of communing with God no longer valid in this world we live in? You know, it's just wow. like, okay, it's, that's where I get. And then it, it just becomes this wash of ignorance Mm-hmm. Use it yeah. stupid, but I, it's just ignorance because it's mm-hmm. like these people don't even know. They think they're doing something. And, and on some, yeah, maybe if you have stretching issues or, you know, this helps you stretch. It's true. It does. Or maybe if you're very anxious, it calms you down. But then it just becomes this mismatch of whatever. And 
And it's just people are saying, well, I know all about something and they actually don't. I did this group thing once with this woman who I mentioned something about Shiva, the dancing Shiva, one of the Hindu gods to her. And she's like, oh, yeah, I, I know about and I, I'm all about him. And I mentioned something that I knew about Shiva and Ganesha, the famous elephant god everyone sees all around them. And and she's like, well, you know what you're talking about. I'm like, no, no, that's actually... Uh, she's like, oh, I know all about Ganesha. Okay, well, what is what is it that I'm wrong on? Well, she couldn't tell me. She had mm-hmm. no idea, but she'd just gotten this thing of, I'm all about all gods or this universalist thing of it all feels good and, and who cares about what the scripture says? I'm going with it anyways. I haven't even read the scripture. And it's just like deliberate ignorance. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. I just, yeah. If I'm telling you something out of a book about Ganesha, which I've read, and you're just saying, well, that's wrong because it doesn't feel good, I, it was like, whatever. I, mm-hmm. I couldn't do that. Right. That's me. That's like an ethics thing for me. That's like people, for me, it's like if you, if someone says to me, I only go to church for the cookies, mm-hmm. like, what about God? Yeah, no, no, no. I just like the cookies because they serve really good cookies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, why are you wasting your time for an hour long service when you should just show up at the very end for the cookies or go to the store and buy them yourself? Right. You know, what, what's the point? What's mm-hmm. the point of this? I literally knew a guy, he went to mass because they had coupons in oh the in gosh. the in the thing so he goes yeah i like to take the coupons home because he didn't he was kind of out of work mm-hmm. i'm like so okay why don't you just go in and get the paper and leave why are you sitting through this pretending to be this catholic who you're not just you know i i just i can't do that i have an ethical thing i want to do something that is legit and real and profound that will connect me to god or at least i'll have a belief system which is not illogical Mm-hmm. Or it's rational or I don't care about feeling good. I don't care about that. I'd rather believe I'd rather believe the truth that doesn't make me feel good than to deliberately believe a lie that does make me feel good. That's just me. Mm-hmm. So I can't do yoga. I can't do it because I feel like I'm it's a scam. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a hundred year old scam with mistranslations that I know are mistranslations. And to have people go, oh, namaste, peace to you. And I'm like, no, you don't believe any of this stuff. I've read the books. I've read these things. I study it every day. I chant mantras every day. You, you don't do any of this. I, it's just like, it's, it's tough. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. And even with the weight loss argument, it does not offer any additional benefits that normal stretching doesn't. You know, there's really no reason why this is exalted above other things other than it's a trend and people think it's exotic or yeah, exotic has a lot yeah. to do with it we do yeah. like our exotic stuff yeah a theatrical or exotic or a chance to pick up people or i think that people have the concept it's relaxing which it's really not i mean you've got to really it's a workout it's not just laying on the floor while something walks on you i mean it, it's a real thing that they kind of do in terms of physical activity it's not maybe a real thing in reality but it's like something that they do and the positions that they put the body in are you know they're there to produce something it's not just because you're getting a break from your life which a lot of people do think it is i think that authentication of what anybody believes has to be a part of anybody's belief system and yes i understand like we were talking about with the bible 
that some things do change and obviously we can't apply everything the same way. So that's where we get into learning how to apply differently or how to maybe apply the wisdom without maybe applying the substance. So it would be a substance versus essence argument. You kind of find the essence versus the substance. And that gets into a whole other philosophical debate that we're not going to get into here. But yeah, I that think that's I think, where your Christian folks go into it. Like they want to take parts of yoga, but they don't want to believe the rest of it. Exactly right. I mean, and I think that that is an authenticity issue. And I think that, you know, that is totally losing the essence from the substance and that, you know, vice versa. And so I think it is important that we do strive for some authenticity. Maybe it's not perfect in everything because we can't apply something from thousands of years ago perfectly, but we at least make the effort to be more accurate than just stealing everybody's stuff and sticking our own thing in there and making it our own. You know, that's just not really the right way to go about things. And then regurgitating it as authentic. Exactly. And then saying it's authentic when it's not. And that's just not okay. But we're about out of time. So what would you like to kind of say in closing to leave with everybody? Oh, I don't know if I have any closing thoughts. We've hit a few different points. I, I don't know if you, uh, I don't know if you have any more you wanted to add. That's why I'll let you do it. (laughs) (laughs) I get to go first. I I really think, I'll tell you, here I am. uh, As we record this, I'm a month out from 45 years old. And I have, as you will vouch for me, and embarrassingly so, I have traveled to different parts of the world and I have experienced different religions and I have investigated things just out of curiosity and I've studied things in school and on my own. And I've found things that wasted my time. Mm-hmm. I found things that were really great. I've seen stuff that is kind of mysterious that I can't explain and people who have done things. And at the end of my day, I know I want a religion that is scripturally valid. It has some basis in the scriptures. For me, that is the Hindu scriptures. Mm-hmm. For you, it's the Bible because this is my chosen religion so this is where I'm going. I want my religion and my belief to have a scriptural basis. Mm-hmm. I want it to be scientifically somewhat valid. I want it to make sense. I like a religion that makes sense to me. It makes logical A plus B equals C. You sound and, so much like me right now, except and, not with and I, I can't take <laughs> this thing where so I was reading a b- book about Reiki the other day because mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm not saying it exists or if it doesn't exist. I'm actually reading a book because I wanted to learn more about it. And it basically was like, well, if you put your hands up and heal the energy will mm-hmm. of the aura, you, it literally, this book was very new age. It was like, you'll feel the aura. Okay, that's fine. I have no problem with that. When Hinduism, we don't believe in the aura. So we believe in the eternal soul, for lack of a better word. But in Hinduism, the soul is inside of you. It can't be seen. So this whole concept of an aura is completely foreign to Hinduism. There's no colors around us because the soul is inside. There's no spirit outside of us. So when I read this book that says, well, here is this thing that it sees the aura. My thing is, is, okay, well, I don't believe in the aura. I believe in this. So how can I rationally get from this sees the aura to my belief? How can I add one and one up to equal two to make this a logical religious belief that I hold? And I've been purging that 
through my belief system, going through different things and going, this isn't rational. I'm not going to believe this anymore. So I'm at this point where that's what I'm doing. I want things that are scriptural, scientific, logical, philosophically sound. And for me, at the end of the day, it may whittle away stuff that may make me feel good, but I find at the end of the day an authentic spirituality. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want other people to find. Mm-hmm. Sounds arrogant. I understand that. But I have found that once I purge all this stuff, my spirituality deepens. Mm-hmm. And I feel closer to God because I've gotten rid of all this stuff that actually was a distraction. Mm-hmm. I want other people to do that. And I always tell people, don't ever stop asking questions. If something feels good, don't go with that. Keep asking questions. Investigate. Don't put up answers like, hey, it's Satanist. Don't do that. Investigate. Find out. And that's what I want people to do. And, and yoga is one of these things I keep saying to people, investigate this, investigate this. And if you're going to do it, do it for the structuring. Don't pretend it's a spiritual thing if you're believing some gibberish mistranslation of a religion that's now 100 years old. No. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do it for the structuring, that's a logical thing. But whatever. That's my thing. I just want people to take away that, I, you know, what you're doing may, is it, is it, is it what you think it is? Yeah. I think that's totally fair. I think that's totally fair. And I think I like the authenticity argument. That's that's what I would argue. It's like we say we need to aim for something authentic. And this is just not it. If people really think this is going to make them spiritual, it's not. Yeah. And that's entirely fair. Well, I thank you for being on the program today. All right. Well, we thank everybody for listening to the program today. Also, if you are interested in learning more about the world of counterculture Christianity, feel free to visit my website at kingdomparanow.org. That's kingdomparanow.org. And this is Apostle Dr. Leanne Marino in closing, reminding all of you that authenticity means seeking something real. It means seeking something that is true. And while we live in an entire world of counterfeits there are ways to develop what is true that starts with a study that starts with an honest search and that often starts with a conversation until next time be blessed